If you want to be a good marketer, the key to success is your ability to tell a story. Because at the end of the day, marketing is all about connecting with an audience and developing enough demand generation that people keep coming back for more. When it comes down to it, the marketing industry is a billion dollar surplus. And in the United States alone, marketing spending increased by nearly 9% in 2022 to an estimated total of $48.1 billion. It should come as no surprise that a segment of the industry that is growing particularly well comes in the form of digital marketing. For instance, more marketers were expected to extend more marketing dollars to platforms such as YouTube, TikTok, Google, Instagram, and Facebook. All of this according to my friends over at Statista. My friend Eric Eaton has been in the game of marketing for over 25 years. He served as the chief marketing officer for leading companies in tech. For over 20 years, he's accustomed to being in a leadership position and building and maximizing the potential you can get out of any team. Eden says that in order to be successful in marketing, it's all about considering marketing as the most valuable investment that you'll ever make as a company. And he joined me this week to tell me more about this philosophy, the way marketing has evolved, and the importance of using your own authentic and individual story to connect with an audience, generate more leads, and ensure the demand for your product remains fierce. I'm Kevin McShan. Let's have this conversation. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Now, Eric, I know that you've been in the field of marketing now for over 25 years. And, you know, uh, marketing to me is all about telling a great story, my friend. So based on your extensive experience, I'm wondering, what do you think are the keys to telling a great marketing story? Well, the first thing is, I think these days it needs to be concise. I, people have gotten used to very short form stories on TikTok and Instagram, you know, one to three minutes. 
And I think back to when TED Talks first launched and they were revolutionary because instead of an hour presentation, they were 17 minutes. But today, 17 minutes feels pretty long. So being able to be concise and compelling is, is the first part of it. I think the second part of it is being able to talk about impact. So if you're, t if you're telling a story about marketing success, what was the impact of, of the marketing is always key. And the third thing I always like to really cover is people think marketing is easy, but it's not. So I like for people to include what is the, the challenge and the issues that they had to, to overcome to, to, to have a high impact marketing success. Yeah, and you know, Eric, I also think marketing is it's all about relationships and building that relationship trust so that people can feel a sense of security once you market or sell to them, my friend. So tell me about building relationship trust from a marketing perspective, and what does that mean to you? Well, I think it comes down to being authentic and human and also not being boring. <laughs> and those three things combined probably because, you know, the, the idea that content can be generated by AI and can be just as good, it's not really just as good because people can tell when something is machine generated. It's not authentic. There's no human connection there. And as a result, I think you can't just get there with volume of pumping out a lot of machine-generated content, for example, towards people, and then expect your other colleagues or customers to see it as that you're an expert because you had AI generate something, for example. So I think you know, being authentic, um, being helpful to other people, and being able to share... Uh, and connect with people in a, in a authentic way is human ways is, is the key. Yeah, absolutely. No, Eric, as I mentioned at the outset of our conversation, uh, you've uh, been in the marketing game for a while now. So I'm curious uh, to ask you about your uh, story in marketing, my friend, and why marketing is your passion and your purpose. Well, you should know I'm, I'm very old. My, my daughters remind me of this all the time. And uh, I'm older than the internet, older than Google. So I've seen a lot of changes uh, over the years of you know how marketing is done. And I would say the rate of change, how fast things are moving, is, is increasing. So marketing today is very different than it was a year ago or a couple years ago. And that's just because um, the the channels, the tactics, um, and people's expectations are all evolving. And so I think that, that that's a big challenge for, for marketers and being able to stay on top of what customers are really expecting your marketing to look like is, is important. And I'll just give an example, so I'm not talking in platitudes, is I, I don't think people like getting cold calls. And I don't think people like getting um, robocalls and spam spam text messages. So those are things that have worked for companies in marketing in the past um, and in driven sales. 
But these days, I would say people are very um, anti those those channels, and when people do that, it really ruins your reputation. So I would just say give those examples in terms of how how things are evolving. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as I mentioned, you've had uh, experience in lots of leadership roles, and you've been responsible for growth and a number of different companies, my friend. So tell me, what's your definition of a visionary leader, my friend? What does that concept mean to you? Well, as a chief marketing officer, the key thing that I've had to do is provide the strategy for growth. That's really the main the main job. I've mainly worked for venture capital and private equity backed companies who are going for high growth. Like to give an idea, they they want to double every year or grow one hundred percent, and that's a pretty tall order. And so, a visionary leader has to bring the strategy to do that first. And second, you have to be able to build a team around you who can who can get behind that vision and brings passion to bringing that vision to life. And so in order to build a team to do that, the things that I've done uh, at the companies that I've worked with is I brought in really talented people who want to be somebody. They, they aspire to be remarkable. They're competitive. Um, these are all things that I look for when I hire people because that's how you get passion. And then I like to enable them and give them what they need in order to be successful uh, in terms of tools and systems and money for programs and support in terms of direction. And then uh, once those things are in place, I think the key is to help people develop skills on your team over time. Really, when people go through their careers, they're going through a process of acquiring skills every month, every quarter. And helping people do that and helping them get to the next level, if, if I'm doing that, then I'm going to be able to realize the strategic vision if, if you have a great team who's on that path. Because you can't do it yourself. It just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, you can't do all the things you need to do in marketing. There's so many skills that you need and there's so much to be done that that if you if you can't build a good team you'll never be able to put your vision in place yeah and eric i want to talk to you about creating an inclusive marketing story and what i mean by that eric is you know outside of the hosting this podcast i work with businesses and i speak to organizations about the importance of infusing uh diversity equity and inclusion into their marketing stories and to their hiring practices. And, you know, Eric, this line of work is personal uh, to me personally because, you know, at the age of nine, buddy, I was told by a doctor that I would not be able to walk for the duration of my life because of the severity of my cerebral palsy. So I've made it my mission in my adult life to help uh, organizations uh, tell uh, an inclusive marketing story. So tell me, what do you think is the key to infusing inclusion in your uh, team building or marketing story? What do you think is the key there? 
Well, first, I just want to share that, you know, it's, it's different, but, but I guess similar in some ways that, you know, I've, I've, everyone has a challenge in terms of no one's like a perfect human being. Right. So, so my, my challenge is that I have bad vision. So I'm nearsighted and it's been something I've had since, since I was born. So, you know, I've had to adapt to that throughout my career. And so when you take that perspective, sort of like you shared and everybody has something that they have to, to overcome. And if they don't have it today, then, then they'll have it one day probably. So, um, you know, when you, when you have that sort of philosophy, then it makes you not filter people out based on whatever challenge they may have. And so I think that's the, the, the first you know, thing is just because I recognized from a very young age that I wasn't perfect, that I'm not looking for perfect in anybody else. And, um, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for people who look just like me or are just like me. And um, it's interesting, you know, as I build teams, because the, the first criteria is really to not have that bias that you want to hire someone just like you of the same, the, the same gender, the same race, et cetera. So it's interesting as I build teams, I mainly just hire for the skills that people have and the, sorry, the skills that they have and their, their ability to have passion and to fit into the culture. And so if you're hiring for that, it's interesting because you get a much more diverse group hired. So companies that I've been at, when I looked back, I have a team of a hundred people. It's, it's interesting that it is pretty diverse. It was like half, half male and half female. And not because I planned it that way because of a quota. It's just because when you're fairly evaluating resumes and fairly evaluating people in interviews and you don't have these biases that come in, you're just looking at skills and cultural fits. And if people have the, the right passion to fit in your culture, then you naturally get a more diverse group. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about building diverse teams, you know, Eric, one of the hardest things for any CEO or business owners to do is a delegate, especially if it's their own business. But when you're creating a great team, uh, having, the ability, having the ability to delegate is essential if you want to have long-term and sustainable success. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, that's something I had to learn in my career um, as, as I went because I'm very passionate. I'm very hardworking. I get excited about things. And over the years, um, as I've gotten older, I've learned that um, I have to, you know, let people do do things versus me doing everything myself. And um, that's, I think, just sort of a natural curve of, you know, maturity. But the other piece of it that goes with that is you have to be able to give really great guidance and direction um, because otherwise it just becomes unfair. If you delegate something and you don't give that good direction, then it's, it's worse than, than not delegating. So um, what I mean by that is like, I've worked with a lot of other executives over the years who have just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give this person a task 
and I'm going to be really vague about it on, pers- on purpose as like a test to see if they can figure it out. I'm like, that's not, that's not great. <laughs> that's not a great way to go. <laughs> it's not very fair to them. I'm, you know, so think, you know done right, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I go for the other direction of, I like to tell people on my team, this is the, the business goal. This is what we're trying to do. This is why we're trying to do it. This is how, if I was doing it, I think it should be done. Um, but if you have other ideas, I'm open to it. But you know the main business goal. Be creative. You know, have some big ideas. Bring some creative execution and see if you can do something really interesting here. And that sort of empowers people because then they have the context. They have an idea of, of what, how to do it if they have no idea. And then they can, it empowers them to sort of brainstorm and say, let me be creative here. And that's what people really like is they like that challenge of being creative in most cases. That's the fun part of marketing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Eric, selfishly, I'm going to ask you uh, this next question because it's part of helping me grow and expand uh, for what, what I do on a daily basis. So I market and reach out and create create leads for uh, my own uh, speaking business and having the ability to uh, speak to organizations about building an inclusive culture. And I know that uh, sometimes creativity and marketing can uh, be a little bit lackadaisical if you don't know what your specific goals are in marketing. So how, how do you think we can balance creativity and marketing while also having a specific goal in mind? Yeah, I think that you have to, to know what your objective is, and then everything you do should be leading to the objective. So um, sometimes, you know, I'll give an example of within marketing, you have a lot of things that fall into a bucket of branding and you have a lot of things that fall into a bucket of demand generation. But if your goal is to grow your business a hundred percent a year, then you probably need to direct 90% of your effort and activity towards demand generation because branding is just something that's a a part of the equation. That's good to have. It's not going to drive a hundred percent growth for you. And so I'm not saying do zero branding, for example, but have the right have the right balance. And so branding is where a lot of the creative things come in, where people come up with, you know, names for a company or a product, and they get to figure out what colors are in the logo, and all that stuff is really fun. But really, what you, people need to spend time and effort and focus on is how do we get the business? How do we get business one and business close? Do we get leads? You know, how, how do we do it? Which channels do we use? What what campaigns or programs do we run? And so that's where I came up in marketing is on the demand generation side. So while I love doing the branding stuff, I think a lot of a lot of businesses get caught up in the the, the exact inverse of that equation I just mentioned. A lot of businesses will start out and they'll say, like they'll be doing like eighty or ninety percent of branding and ten or twenty percent demand gen. And then they're ultimately not successful because they didn't, their activity didn't match their goal. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, it does. And it leads into my next question in terms of lead generation. You know, if I asked you to create sort of a marketing recipe to attract more leads in your business, what are you, what ingredients do you think you would put in the recipe to create more leads? Well, I think the way to think about it is that marketing is an investment. It's not spending money. People talk about marketing spend. And I always correct them and say, no, it's an investment. And if you think about it like an investment, then it leads you to the right answers because if you're thinking about generating leads in certain channels, like Google pay-per-click advertising or email marketing or attending a conference or a trade show, each of those activities has a certain cost that's an investment and then we'll have a certain result which equals your return on the investment. And so the, what you want to be thinking when you're thinking about the generating more leads is which activities will have the best return on investment. So for every $1 you spend at marketing, can you get $5 or $10 back in sales? And, and there's lots of complex equations people come up with to sort of measure that. But if you start thinking about it, that marketing is an investment, including your time, by the way, because uh, it's the time of the team working on marketing, not just what you spend on advertising or with third parties, like going to events or things like that. The fully loaded cost of marketing, what is the return of that? And if you're not getting enough leads and those leads aren't closing, and you're not getting the right return on investment, you should be using other channels. And what people typically find is they look across to all the marketing channels. There's not like a infinite number. There's something like, depending on how you classify it, 20, 30 major marketing channels that you could possibly, you could possibly look at. But the interesting thing for me is, is that when you look at it like an investment, people normally zero in on a handful of channels. Let's call it, two to five channels that drive most of their business and understanding which of those are more efficient and least efficient is really helpful in growing your business because certain channels like Google pay-per-click advertising is going to be on the end of the spectrum of pretty expensive because each lead on Google for B2B companies as an example would probably cost like two to $300 per lead. Um, email marketing on the other hand, it's a lot more cost effective, but you know, the leads probably cost like $10 a lead. And so you would say, Oh, I'll just do email marketing. But there's, there's certain limits in the channels where you can't just build a business only on one channel of email marketing. So when you think about those dynamics, you're like, okay, I need to think about what is the return on investment for each marketing channel and which channels have enough elasticity or room to invest more in. Then you can build a mix to say it's 20% Google pay-per-click, it's 10% email marketing, it's 30% going to events, it's 10% PR, et cetera, right? And the, the mix for each business would end up being a little bit different depending on what the business is, what industry you're in. And that's, I think, what people need to explore. But the key to, the key to figuring that out for your business is to think about it like an investment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked earlier about demand a generation and Eric, any good marketer knows, as you know, that if 
the demand for your product isn't there, then the lifespan of your greatest idea won't last long. So tell me, what do you think is the key to really generating demand generation for a, a product that you're really passionate about? Because passion is only one piece of the puzzle. And I'm wondering, uh, if you're really passionate about something, how do you create the demand so that other people are passionate about the same thing? Well, I think the answer is largely thought leadership. If people aren't going to Google and searching, like if they don't wake up in the morning and go search on something, oh, I need to buy buy this item today. Um, then you're going to need to do thought leadership to convince people that that they should be thinking about that. And you have to convince them there's a problem first. Then you have to let them know that you can solve it. And so thought leadership in terms of content marketing is one way to do that. I think podcasts are another great way, part of, of thought leadership that have become really popular, obviously. Um, and I think that the key is... Actually, the best thing that works in, in thought leadership to get to inspire people to to buy a product that you're passionate about is to get a couple people using that product and then to bring those people into your thought leadership. And they can talk about how your product was transformative for them. Because people will always believe your customers 10 times more than they'll ever believe you. Because they know you're trying to sell them something, right? So, um, it, you know, bringing your customers into your thought leadership is the surefire way to inspire people to say, I should be thinking of that. Like, Joe is doing that. Mary is doing that. Like, I should do that, too. And when they hear the stories about it, you know, that's when, you know, they'll start to get as excited as you are. And I worked for, like, one company that sold a software solution to accounting firms. And... We brought the customers into the marketing. And when we did that, you had one accountant talking to other accounting firms saying, when I use this software, I was able to do my work twice as fast. So I could literally take Fridays off. And other accountants were like, wow, I want that. <laughs> I want to take Fridays off too. Um, you know, and other people said, oh, I just take on more clients. I'm like, well, whatever you want to do. Uh, but, but that's a sort of example of, how you can get your your prospective customers to be passionate is to get to get some people using it and then get them to share that passion that, that you have. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you know, for you personally, Eric, I know that you say that one of your greatest gifts is having that strategic vision and the ability to sort of implement different and dynamic marketing and branding strategies, my friends. So tell me about uh, why you love coming up with strategic visions and why they're so important, my friends. It's about big ideas and creative execution. So everybody has access to the same sort of 30 marketing channels that I was mentioning earlier. And there's similar, ta everyone has access to similar tactics within those channels. Like anybody can go to Google and run a pay-per-click campaign. But the big ideas in creative execution come in is what is the messaging? What is the offer? 
you know, what is it that, that, that you're marketing and how big can you, can you make that? And so when I think about things that I've done um, across those channels, it's, it's being creative so that you really work those channels and those tactics in such a way that you get a result that's better than 99% of the other people. And I'll just give you one example. Um, so I'm not talking in platitudes is I was working for one company and we went to a big trade show that had 5,000 attendees and we had a booth, but there was a hundred other people who had booths and you know, you go to these trade shows and if you don't do any marketing, then, you know, almost no one comes by your booth. You stand there for three days and it's just a big waste of time, right? That's what happens for 80, 90% of the people who get booths at a trade show. But, but what we did at this one trade show was we decided we were going to market to people before the conference. And we told them, if you come meet with us for 30 minutes during the conference at our booth, we will give you an Android tablet um, if you come meet with us for 30 minutes and take a look at our products. And when we did that at, at this one conference... We were just one of a hundred booths, but we booked before the conference started 600 appointments and we got to show our product to 600 people. And there was a huge mob around our booth for all three days. And there was no one at any of the other hundred booths. <laughs> and so, you know, that's a, there was a strategic idea to make an investment in giving away tablets um, because it was worth it for us our, our strategy was we knew that we could win one out of every four people that we pitched. And it was worth it for us to give out up to four tablets for every customer we won because we were selling something that was like a $10,000 product. So I just give that example of if you don't have big ideas and creative execution, you'll just be one of those other hundred booths that is just sitting there, no one comes by, and you're not successful. So... Well, it's all about return yeah. on investment, isn't it? That's right. It's all just an equation of what are you spending and, and what can you get back in that in terms of ROI. Yeah, absolutely. And Eric, I want you to complete the sentence for me. Any marketer can make marketing simpler if, how would you complete that sentence? They think about marketing as an investment. Like we yeah. talked about, if if they think about marketing as an investment, then they think the right way about spending money. Because otherwise, a lot of a lot of it is just if you think about marketing as an investment, it leads you to all the right the right decisions. Yeah. People are like, why don't we spend ten thousand dollars on this, or why do we spend ten thousand dollars on that? And you can just get lost really quick if you don't think about marketing as an investment. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that return on investment part portion of the conversation is something I, I think that some marketers and business people, people struggle with sometimes because they wrestle with the potential for, versus what they'll get as a result. But I'm curious to ask you, what do you think it means to um, take a leap of faith in a marketing opportunity while also being smart about it as well? Yeah, so a lot of people think about it like, well, you know, if our revenue is 
a certain amount, marketing should be five, 10, 20% of, of whatever our revenue is. And that's how we generate more. But that's sort of a, a more high level way of thinking about it. I think a better way of thinking about it is when people say, listen, do small tests um, relative to your business size. So do a step function, test something out at a smaller dollar value. And if it works, then just keep stepping it up. That is what has really worked for me because you don't always know for a particular business what marketing channel or tactical will, will work. So if you, smart, if you start small and you get a good result, like you get $10 back for every dollar you spent in marketing, then you might say, okay, well, let's increase the amount and see if we can keep that ratio. And I've actually built up businesses where I started with almost no marketing budget, you know, less than like less than $50,000 and built that marketing budget up to $30 million a year because I just kept proving it in small step ups. And every, every quarter they come back to me and say, Hey, if we give you more money, can you get that same ratio of $10 back in revenue for every, every dollar you spend on marketing, invest in marketing? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And then that's how you guide all your decisions of what you spend money on. So if someone comes and says, let's spend $10,000 on this, you have to come up with a reasonable expectation using my formula of $10 in, in revenue for every dollar you spend. Can you get $100,000 in sales from it? And if you can't, you probably shouldn't do it. And that leads you to all the right answers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, Eric, I'm also curious to ask you, what do you think it means to remain vigilant or, or relevant in marketing and in business as well? I think, you know, relevance is, you know, the foundation actually of, of how search engines work is, is interesting, right? Is, is like, how, how relevant are you? So what you're talking about in your content, in your thought leadership materials, um, if it doesn't resonate with people and people are not engaged, then you might be sort of off in the woods in like a niche, right? And so that's a good, good way to measure sort of if you're being relevant is if people are engaging with you and one of the ways that I like to do this is a little bit different than just only on the digital side of like producing content like podcasts or, or blog posts or other types of written content. I like to actually go to in-person events that I believe all the people there, what I'm talking about should be relevant. And then I, I go around and I talk to people and I see what other people are talking about. And if they don't get excited and they don't get engaged when I'm talking to them in person about it, then it's never going to resonate online either. And so I think, you know, balancing sort of like a, um, in real life in person sort of testing of those ideas, uh, is, is, is important, you know, in addition to like testing things and digital, digital channels, which, you know, I also love to do. Yeah, and, and I have a, a few more questions for you. And the first has to do with the, the new age of uh, networking. Because Eric, in my view, I always 
always say that in business, networking is the lifeblood of opportunity. And, you know, for someone like me, uh, because of my uh, disability, Eric, it's sometimes more difficult for me to get a, get out to go to networking events. So I use um, a LinkedIn and um, uh, a podcast as a way, as a social outlet, and also as a networking opportunity uh, for myself. So I'm curious, how do you think the whole process of networking has evolved and why do you think it's so important to constantly uh, flood your sort of uh, ecosystem with a new network of people? Why do you think it's so important? Well, I think that um, after 15 years of social media being around, we're probably ready for a next generation of it. Because I think there's some there's some underlying problems with the current social networks um, that are largely full of bots and spam and fraud and privacy issues because of of advertising. Um, I think that it's interesting as I go around and I talk to people. Almost a third of people have just said, you know what, I, I I just deleted all my social media stuff. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And I'm like, is this the place we're at that like a significant percentage of people are just giving up on it? And it is pretty frustrating like to get just all of the spam and the scams and the fraud. And like LinkedIn removed 100 million fake people profiles last year. Um, so it's not a small problem. And I, I think that we did, we all deserve a better user experience, you know, in social media. I think some of the current platforms will evolve and some of the ways they evolve, you know, should be things like people subscribe instead of just being targeted with advertising. I think users should be verified. So we know who's real people, which people and which companies are real and which are fake. Um, you know, I think that people deserve to be paid for their time, not just spammed and have their time wasted, you know, for things they're not interested in. So I think there's a better way to do it. Um, I think, obviously, we didn't have it at all 15 years ago. So we, we have something, but I think that, that, that there's something better that, that we can't have. And the good news is I think it's going to happen. Um, the question is how long, you know, does that take to happen? Yeah, and Eric, I'm going to uh, combine my next uh, two questions. They also happen to be my last two questions. So, uh, Eric, I'm curious, if I make your life into a movie, my friend, what do you think the title of your life movie would be? And when you look at your overall overall life and legacy, how, how do you think you would want your legacy to be defined? Well... I'm not sure that I want to be famous. <laughs> That's one thing that I, I'm not sure that I was, I've ever been angling for. But in terms of w what would I like to be known for, um, because I'm passionate about marketing, because I've, I've worked for growth companies and I enjoy doing it and it creates a lot of value, um, I, I would like to be known for having been a good marketer. I would hope that um, lots of 
people would remember me for being helpful, um, being empathetic, being human, and um, being able to to drive great results for the people that I work with. Yeah, absolutely. And Eric, I know that you host a podcast, my friend, and I uh, know that you're active in, in all of the places people can find you. So tell me about the podcast and the best way that uh, people can get a hold of you if they're so inclined to do so. Absolutely. So I have a podcast called The Remarkable Marketing Podcast, and it's a short-form interview podcast where people can share stories about the best marketing they've ever done in less than 10 minutes per episode. And uh, the goal of that is just to inspire business leaders and marketers to to be remarkable. And uh, so remarkablemarketingpodcast.io, and uh, people can also find me on, on LinkedIn, and uh, my my startup uh, is called Workverse, so workverse.com. So any of those three places. Fabulous. And I lied. I have one more question for you. As I uh, uh, shared with you earlier that I, uh, outside of hosting this, Eric, I do some uh, speaking as well. And one of the things that have always worked for me, Eric, is sharing my uh, individual story as a way of, uh, connected and solving problems uh, for people. So I talk to businesses about hiring uh, people with disabilities. I also talk about uh, talk to athletes about overcoming obstacles and finding their own definition of prosperity. So I'm curious, from a marketing perspective, how effective do you th- think it is to lean into your own personal story and experience? I think it's effective because it, it comes across as a lot more human to to share your your background story, if you will, because most people just don't really realize what other people are going through. And so I think if it's if it's done in a concise and compelling way, it's 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 powerful for people to understand um what other people are experiencing it then lets them connect with you and then you can and then you can sell from the stage what you need to if you will absolutely well my friend i have to tell you that your balance sheet of marketing accomplishments is long and extensive and i want to thank you for sharing your wisdom passion and experience in the field of marketing my friend your work in the space and Time on my behalf is most appreciated, and I want to thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show.